Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Unconventional Gal with me, your host, Cherry Dollface. You know, when I first started this podcast, (laughs) I have so many bloopers of me not remembering the name of my own podcast, so I'm actually very proud now that I can remember the name of my own podcast. It's the little things in life, my friends. So today, my first topic is all about owning versus renting a home. James and I were actually talking just a couple of days ago about our parents and how it seems like it's such a generational thing. I mean, I know people of our generation feel the same way, but I think it's more across the board in the generation just before us that you had to own a home. It was like a milestone in life. It was proof that you were an adult. It was, I don't know, a, a status thing. I don't even really know what it is, but we were talking about how both of our parents really have this like strong need to actually own a house where I feel like our generation, it's less of a necessity and people care less. You're still taken seriously as an adult if you don't own your house. So I thought it would be kind of an interesting podcast topic. And good Lord, let me tell you, I put the word out on Facebook for stories relating to renting versus buying. And I had so many stories, so many private messages, so many stories on the post, probably more than any I've ever asked for before. Also for future, if you are listening to this and you want to submit questions or stories to future podcasts, please follow me. I am at The Cherry Doll Face on all social media, and I usually submit for questions and stories. Facebook and Instagram are really where I ask for the stories. So anyways, back to this whole weird pride thing that is involved with renting versus owning. Just one disclaimer I want to say if anybody is listening to this that is in that sort of my mom's generation and older, nobody knows if you own Nobody's going to ask to see the deed to your home if you tell them you own it. So if you can't afford to own and you really feel like it's important, just lie. (laughs) I usually don't condone lying, but I just really think that this is not that big of a deal and nobody should be stressing themselves out or working themselves into bankruptcy over buying versus renting. So first I want to go over the pros of renting. I have done both. So I co-owned a house when I lived in Washington. And I have also rented. I've rented more. I didn't own for very long. But there are definitely pros and cons to both. So I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. I think it depends on your unique situation. And it also depends on the economy where you're living. So first, pros of renting. No maintenance costs. When you rent, you don't pay for crap. If your roof is leaking, if your foundation is crumbling, even if I don't know, a few years ago, I had to get my tub drain snaked because I am the hairiest beast known to man and water was not going down my shower anymore because it was so full of hair. And I didn't even pay for that. So that is one major thing when you are renting is not even the cost, but just the headache. When something goes wrong in my house that I rent, I just submit a maintenance request and then it just gets fixed. I don't have to call the place. I don't have to do anything other than let them know that I'll be home when they're coming. So it's just 
the headache of that and the cost of that can be huge for people. That is unless you have a bad landlord or you don't have rent control. So one of two things can happen. I also lived in an apartment where it didn't matter what I asked for unless the ceiling was falling in. They did not do anything. And I know a lot of people will say, well, that's against the law, blah, blah, blah. Who has the money to fight that? I don't have the money or time to take a landlord to small claims court. And I know a lot of people don't as well, especially most of the time landlords are really bad is when you are in lower income areas, which means that you do not have the time or money or resources to fight bad landlords. And that is why bad landlords exist. So I think it comes from a very privileged place to just assume that people have those capabilities. The other flip side of that is if you don't have rent control, for example, my house that I live in now, I signed a year lease when I moved in. And then once that year was over, I'm just month to month. So they can tell me to leave at any minute. If you live in a place that doesn't have rent control and you need something big fixed or you keep asking for them to fix stuff and keep bugging them, they can just end your lease and not fix it. And then you're screwed. So the no maintenance cost things sometimes come with a price of their own. Also, when you rent, you can move as often as you like, which when I was younger, that was a major perk because not only did I move cities, but I also like to move from neighborhood to neighborhood or maybe, you know, right now I have roommates. Right now I want to live by myself. I went from an apartment to a house. And I think especially, especially if you move into a new city that you don't know very well yet, it's a major perk to be able to sort of move around so that you can figure out where your space is in that city. Also, if you have really bad neighbors and you rent, you can just leave. And that's the thing is if you own and you have bad neighbors that also own, you are stuck next to those bad neighbors. It's one thing if you own a bunch of land and your neighbors are like two miles away. But if you're in a house in the city, I mean, I can, I'm in a house right now. I'm not even kidding. I'm looking out my window right now. If my arm was a good two feet longer, first of all, I would be really out of proportion, but I could also touch my neighbor's house. Luckily, our neighbors are super cool and our neighbors all around us are awesome. But if they were bad, there would always be that option to leave. And once you own, you don't have that option. Also with renting, there is no saving for a down payment. Down payments on houses can vary as far as the amount of money that you need or if you even need a down payment. So just know that markets where it's a seller's market, a lot of the time you're going to be fighting with cash buyers, which is a huge problem in LA. There's so many investors and people that buy cash and flip that they don't care about your down payment because they just want somebody that's going to put 100% of the cost of the house down in cash. There's always exceptions to that, but it just depends on the market of where you're at thinking of, you know, saving a down payment of 10 to 20 percent up to 100 percent of the cost of a house. People always say, oh, well, it's cheaper to own, but it's not necessarily cheaper to own when you have to come up with so much cash up front. It's not always viable for people to do that. Also, when you rent, some utilities are included. And sometimes when you rent, all utilities are included. So with our house, they pay for water. That's the only actual utility. But they also pay for a gardener that comes once a week, which is awesome because then we don't have to buy a lawnmower and gardening shears and take the time to go out there, especially when it's the middle of August and it's 8 million degrees and my fragile little skin does not want to be out in the sun. We have an awesome gardener that is super sweet and amazing and he does a great job and his skin is used to being in the sun. There's definitely utility perks that come with renting and some places will cover everything, even like cable, internet, power, gas, trash. There's a lot of utilities involved with being in a house. 
Also, too, if you are a city dweller, sometimes you can't afford to buy. So we live in a suburb of the city, but we are only a few miles from the city center. We love our house and we love our neighborhood. We cannot afford to buy in this neighborhood. Just full disclosure, we live in a two-bedroom house, probably seven to 800 square feet, a detached garage, and no yard at all. And our rent is $1,900 a month, which probably sounds crazy for some of you guys that live in more rural areas. But just know I've lived here for almost eight years. And so that's actually really good. My landlord is a saint and hasn't raised our rent very much. A house about the same size in my neighborhood goes for about $2,400 to $2,500 a month. That being said, you think that sounds expensive. The value of my house is actually almost $900,000. So although my rent seems steep, buying is completely out of the question financially for me. So that's the thing is if you want to live in the city a lot of the time, even though rents are expensive, they're still more viable than buying, especially if you just live in an apartment or a studio or something like that where you don't have a lot of space, but you also can afford to be right in the center of the city where if you were going to buy the same thing, you'd have to be a millionaire virtually. Let's talk about the pros of buying a house. Like I said before, for many people, when they buy, their mortgage is cheaper than rent. If you have enough for a down payment on a house, or even if you decide that you would rather live in a rural area, that is hard to say. Rural, you know, fun side fact, I can't say, I can say it slowly, which I'm going to, but I can't say quickly the word brewery. And James always makes fun of me whenever we drive. There's one over by where I used to go to school and he always points at it and he goes, what is that? And I always say, it's the place they make beer. For some reason, it's a tongue twister for me. Maybe you guys have some tongue twisters too, but rural is actually a good one. I think James can't say that one. So I know you're listening, you jerk, and you can't say it. So, ha. So anyways, if you are willing to live in a more rural area, generally mortgages will be cheaper. And man, if you want to live in like, the middle of nowhere in Nebraska or Iowa, most of middle America, you can get, I, I used to watch um, Flip or Flop or I don't know, the one that has the married couple that host it and they live in Waco, Texas. And sometimes the prices of the houses that they flip actually make me want to cry. Like I could actually buy those houses in cash right now. <laughs> and then I'd be that jerk cash buyer. Generally, if you are willing to move a little bit, buying a house, your mortgage is going to be cheaper than some rents. And also the major perk, which is the reason that James and I are actually wanting to buy ourselves, is that you can modify a house once you own it. You can do construction. You can make changes. You can change the flooring. You can add a bathroom or you know add a bedroom if your family grows. You can't do that to a rental. And that's the thing we always talk about with this rental that we're in now. We love our house. It's such a cool 1950s house. It has great hardwood floors, but it has like a really outdated 80s kitchen and it has a really outdated 80s bathroom. And we would, you know, knock down this wall and do this and that, but we just don't really do anything. We don't even like have the landlord fix small things because we're like, you know what? Our rent is so cheap. We don't want to make waves. So we're just going to live with the grout in the kitchen being terrible and all those things. So owning definitely has a perk, especially if you want to customize, especially if you're into, you know, vintage or mid-century or art deco or whatever, and you really want to modify a house. Owning is where it's at. And also too, once you buy it, it's yours potentially forever. Once you pay off that mortgage, your house is your house. And that's the thing with renting is that your landlord can sell it at any moment or evict you, whatever, at any moment. So the great thing about owning 
And also renting a house is that there are no shared walls, which, you know what, could be opposite if you buy a condo. Obviously, your walls are shared. But I just think house living, whether you buy or rent, is tops because no shared walls is awesome. You can do whatever you want as late as you want, and nobody is going to complain which is great, but you also don't have people like stomping upstairs or using power drills at two in the morning or whatever other nonsense we have all dealt with living in apartments. Also, no landlord. There's nobody looking over your shoulder. There's no one telling you what to do. My landlord can drop in with 24 hours notice at any time and there's nothing I can do about it. No landlord is a perk. Lastly, the pros of buying. This is a big pro for a lot of people, especially people that live in the city is that you are free to have all the pets you want. And I know it it varies state to state, city to city, and some places allow pets. But most places, even though they allow pets, there's a limit on the pet and there's also a limit on the size and weight of the pet. I know in LA, most places don't allow pets over like 25 pounds. There's also breed restrictions. So if you have, you know, a pit bull, they won't let you rent or some places are no cats or whatever. I mean, I'm sure you could have like a fish or a turtle in most places, but generally if it's a furry friend that wants to roam on its own, either there's restrictions or there's a really high deposit to be able to have them. So if you are an animal lover and you want to have 37 goats and 15 dogs in your house, I feel sorry for your floors, but you can do it when you own. Isn't there a show called Animal Hoarders? I feel like you might wind up on Animal Hoarders if you had that many pets. And if there isn't a show called Animal Hoarders, there should be. And then you can be on it. Let us take some stories from people about renting versus buying. First story is from Sarah Louise. I'm working towards buying a house in my hometown here in NI, which I assume is somewhere in the UK because the cost of what this person is saying is in pounds. NI. NI. What are you, NI? Oh, Northern Ireland. Okay, side note, this is super stupid. My dad is from Belfast and I'm actually working on getting my Irish citizenship right now. And I couldn't think of what NI is. <laughs> if it's not Northern Ireland, I'm going to actually feel even more stupid. So Sarah Louise, please tell me if I got that right. Working towards buying a house because we pay nearly 700 pounds per month to rent a house, but could have a good size house at home with a garden for 400 pounds per month. Good Lord. You can't even rent a room for that in LA. <laughs> The last rental I lived in before my now, I stayed for eight years, spent 46,000 pounds, and the landlord did no repairs. I moved out, and he fitted all new windows. Never again. So there's one example of a bad landlord. And yeah, as soon as you move out, they're going to put all new things on, and then they're going to hike the rent. That is just one person that it's a definite pro to buy a house because their mortgage is going to be almost nothing. And that's amazing. So there you go. There's a pro. Nicole DeWald says, I spent a couple years house sitting for family. After that, never again. All the stuff that kept going wrong and we were responsible for the upkeep wasn't worth the extra space. I prefer to rent and let management deal with the problems. So, you know, people always say that the argument that your mortgage is cheaper when you rent, but you also have to keep in mind that your utilities might actually balance it out. Because if you're living in, you know, a place with vaulted ceilings, your heating bill might be $400 a month. And if if your landlord covers that, that is going to offset what you're saving by having a mortgage and then paying that $400 a month. So you just have to weigh what your costs are going to be. This is my first anonymous. If anybody ever wants to submit something anonymously, just message me with it and say you want it anonymous or wherever you leave it, just leave me a note that you want it to be anonymous. 
Anonymous says, while I can't publicly come out and say a lot, I would appreciate it if you just did a quick shout out that there are down payment assistance programs and Habitat for Humanity is also for a number of working class people, not just the poor. Many people don't know that, and it keeps them from buying homes. You can also put as little as 3.5% down in a number of cases now, too, which makes owning a home more accessible. So there you go. If you do want to own a home and you feel like it is out of your range or it is not accessible, it is accessible. Please do some research. There are programs that can help you. There's programs if you have kids. There's programs if you're a single mom. There's programs if you're people of color. There's all kinds of housing programs to help people buy, and it's in the best interest of growing communities. So look at your local chamber of commerce or your local, just like your city website, and see if there's any sort of housing programs that will help you. First topic is done. I have a little review incentive. I got this idea from Beauty Biz BFFs. So they send rewards for people that listen and leave reviews. So if you would like my reward, which is a handwritten postcard to you, please leave me a review, screenshot it, and email it to me at theonlycherrydollface at gmail.com. It's also in the show notes if you need that back. Email it to me with your address, your mailing address, and I would be happy to send you a handwritten postcard just thanking you. If you have already left a review, screenshot it and send it to me with your address, and I would be happy to still send you a postcard. I'm not trying to screw anyone out of their just rewards. They're just desserts. I think it's just desserts. Mmm, desserts. And if you want to write back to me, I love getting mail. My P.O. Box is P.O. Box 10113, Burbank, California, 91510. I'll put it in the show notes as well. If anybody wants to just like write me a letter or send me something cute, I'm not asking for gifts. I literally mean like a drawing or something. (laughs) One more little thing today that I'm going to add. I want to kind of add little baby segments in my podcast. Not every podcast. So once a month, I'm going to do Cherry's Book Club. Also once a month, I had this new idea. We'll see if it works. People said they were into the idea. It's going to be Cherry's Confessional. I want you guys to send me anonymous stories of your deep, dark secrets. Maybe something you did and you got away with or something you did that you're ashamed of or something you did that was really funny, something that you would never tell anybody or haven't ever told anybody else. It can be funny. It can be serious. It can be sad. Anything you have, you can email to me, but you can also text it to me and that makes it more anonymous. So if you do not have an anonymous email, you can text it to me and I'm not going to know who the heck the phone number is. My Phone number to text to is 818-640-7188. Send me all your deep, dark secrets. I would love to share them. I think it's really important, especially because we're all human and we all make mistakes. We all do embarrassing things. We all have, you know, things we're ashamed of or things we've been holding inside. Not only is it therapeutic, but I think it's also important for other people to hear. So we all know that we are all human. Maybe I'll come up with my own for next time. It can't be too bad, though, because it's not anonymous. Segment two this week, this was voted on by my patrons. This is all about rebuilding after major life changes. So rebuilding after a major life change can look many different ways. It could be a death, obviously not the death of you, because then there would be no life to change, but the death of somebody around you, a loved one, a coworker, a parent, whatever, a divorce, moving to a new city, major health problems, having children, filing bankruptcy. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so many things that can change our lives in major ways where we feel like we were just plucked up, spun around 180 degrees, and then plucked back down again, or plucked up, spun around in a million circles, like pin the tail on your life, and then (laughs) drop down again and told to figure it out. 
I actually, in 2007, got divorced, had two heart surgeries, graduated college, and moved to a new state all in the space of a few months. And that was really my big life plucked me up, spun me around a bunch of times, and dropped me back down moment. So if anybody understands that feeling, it's me. I think my my main bit of motivation or advice, and I wrote this in all caps in my show notes, is be brave. You are not alone in your life change and you are not the first one to ever go through whatever your life change is. There are very few people in life that are the first at experiencing something terrible or life-changing. So just know you are not alone. You've got this. You're going to survive. It might take a little bit, but you're going to come out on the other side of it. One major thing for me when it comes to life changes, obviously there's some life changes that this doesn't apply so much to, but for me, I've always focused on having a savings. And that has been my savior through health problems, through divorce, through moving to a new city, Having just that extra little bit in the bank with COVID, it's saved my life. Also know that bankruptcy isn't the end of the world if you can't create a savings for yourself. I think a lot of people are really, really scared of bankruptcy, just the concept of it, the word of it. I know so many people that have filed bankruptcy. I mean, there's, I don't even know if there's somebody in my family that hasn't filed bankruptcy. So if you can't save it's okay, do your best. But just having any kind of savings, even if it's like $5 a month, just something in there as a rainy day fund, it's really, really, really important. Especially if you freelance and you don't know when your paychecks are going to be consistent. When you do get that big check, don't blow it. Open a savings account. It's the only way that I was able to get out of my first marriage because I had a little tiny bit. I had $1,000 in my bank, but it was something and it got me down here. Also, more importantly than the financials, probably the most important thing is focusing on building a support system. It is the rare human in this world that can go through major life-changing things without other humans in their corner. It's very hard, even if you're like, oh, I'm a lone wolf and I do everything alone and I like to be alone and my life is one big dark room. Okay, okay, I get it. Like, you're super cool. But also, you still need human beings. James is one of the most... He likes to be alone more than almost any human I know. And even him through COVID has been like, I miss my buddies. So (laughs) it's okay. You're not weak if you need other humans. You're just human. That is kind of a fault of being human. It's not even a fault. It's kind of awesome. Being around other humans is great when they are the right humans. Building that support system is important, but don't expect to build a whole crew of humans overnight, especially if your major life change includes losing a lot of people. So whether, you know, you went through a divorce and lost half of a family or your breakup made you lose half of your friends or, you know, a death made you lose whatever people or your health problems have driven people away or whatever it is, don't expect to like build that huge support system overnight, but know that you can baby step back in that direction. And it is possible. Listen to my podcast from two weeks ago where I talked about adult friendships. I give you lots of tips and tricks to build your friends. 
Also learn to lean on your friends. There's so many people that are so prideful. I have friends that do this. James does this. The other day he was not feeling well and a friend was like, I'm going to bring you lunch. What do you want? And he literally like was like sweating. Like he handed the phone to me and was like, I don't know what to say. And I was like, just say, cool, thanks. I'll be here. (laughs) I think it's really common that people have a hard time leaning on their friends because they think, well, I don't want to be a burden or I don't want to be annoying or I don't want to be heavy or I don't want to bring them down. But all you have to think of is if that friend came to you and needed you, would you be there? Of course you would. So there's no difference in the reverse. It's just that you're being a stupid jerk and being too stubborn to accept the kindness of your friends. Learn to lean on your friends a little bit. It's okay. That's what they're there for. And if they're not there or if it's too much or if it's whatever, they're not the right friends. And that is not your support system. Those, my friend, we call acquaintances. Also on those lines, don't be afraid to get rid of dead weight. You will find new friends. And by dead weight, I mean those friends that bring you down or aren't there when you need them. You don't need them. So be weary of friends that are friend wolves in friendship's clothing. Also, too, you know, some people just don't make friends very easily, but support groups are amazing. And especially in this day and age with the Internet, you can find a support group for everything. You can find an underwater basket weaving loss group. You can find a group almost for everything. But if it's a major life thing, there is a support group for it. There's bankruptcy support groups. There's divorce support groups. There's grief support groups. Just Google support groups, Los Angeles, whatever your issue is, and you will find them. Don't be stubborn. Don't be shy. Every single other person that is there in that group is in your same shoes. So there's no shame. There's no pride. Just get yourself out there and get yourself some people. And most importantly, especially with major life changes, and I know I've talked about this before, but I really can't stress it enough. Get yourself in therapy. If you can afford it, if you have insurance or you can find a therapist that's affordable, there's even a lot of low-income programs that will help you get therapy. And even a lot of the the lower-level insurances include mental health services. So do your best to research. A lot of community centers will offer therapy and counseling services. But it's important to keep your brain healthy. And just like you would go to the gym or you would go to the doctor or you would go get a facial or whatever it is that you do to keep everything else in your life healthy – Your brain needs to be healthy too. And when you're going through a major life change, it's very, very easy to get your brain all twisted. So get yourself in therapy. It's a really good way to have that support system. And it's a good way to have a support system from somebody that is a neutral party. So there's no judgments. There's nothing but somebody just reflecting you back at yourself so you can figure your shit out. Getting in therapy was honestly the best thing I ever did. And if I hadn't have done it, I would not be with James right now. I can say that definitively 100%. Also too, giving back is so good for the soul. And you can give back in many ways. But I think if you are going through a major life change, it's really good to give back in a way that makes sense with that life change. So let's say you just lost your parent. So maybe volunteer to mentor kids who have also lost their parents, you know, young kids, three, four, five, so that they have an adult mentor that has gone through what they've gone through. Or maybe go volunteer at an old folks home and hang out with old people that just want to have their kids around that don't have time and make buddies and like make a new grandpa. I have lots of surrogate parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. I have lots of chosen family. Also, maybe if you got divorced, go volunteer at a crisis center for, you know, women that have been abused and 
see what they're going through in their lives. And if maybe you've gone through that, you can be a strong voice for that when you're on the other side of it. Or if you're in a new city, do a big brother, big sister program. There's so many ways that you can volunteer that get you involved in a way that will be positive for your mental health. Not to say that if you are still at a very weak state in any of this, volunteering might be a trigger if you're doing it in the same sort of realm of your life change, but it can also be really therapeutic. So you have to figure that out for yourself. But just volunteering in general, just go volunteer at the food bank. Just go pack boxes of food for people. It's the feel goods. You're doing something good for people. You're doing something good for your community. And also lastly, be okay with taking mental health days. You're not being indulgent and you're not being overdramatic. Sometimes you just need a break. You need a pause. And when you have a major life change, I think A lot of people, well, people go one or two ways. They either completely shut down or they go on overdrive. And it's like, got to stay busy. Don't want to think about it. Just take a minute, take a day, lay in bed all day. If you need it, if you don't, it's okay too. But really feel what you need. And if you're like, oh no, I'm working, I'm fine. Think about it. Are you really fine? Because you might not really be fine. So be okay with mental health days. And mental health days go for anyone. Even if you're just living normal life and you've had no changes and you feel like you're okay, check in with yourself and make sure that you're okay. And if you're not, take a day. Obviously, if you can with your job and with your life circumstances, but even if it's not a day, take a few hours, take an hour, take five minutes, go lock yourself in the bathroom and take a few deep breaths and just feel your body and check in with yourself. Maybe don't actually physically feel your body with your hands, but like feel how your body feels from inside your body or feel your body with your hands. That's also a stress reliever too. Okay, so let's take some questions. Question one is from Annabelle Rodriguez. Do you have any advice for rebuilding a life without your family in it? My family pretty much deserted me and are ignoring me. This pandemic only made things worse. All I have is my husband's family. So first I have to say, yay that you have your husband's family. That is amazing. But also just like I was just talking about, is chosen family. And I know a lot of people in the LGBTQ community know all about chosen family because a lot of them are shunned by their families, especially when they come from really religious backgrounds. I am not a believer that blood is thicker than water. I'm going to do a whole podcast on this topic as it relates to breaking up with a parent. But your family are the people that are there when shit gets hard. Your family is not who shares your DNA or shares your blood. I can also tell you that from being a child of adoption. Blood is interesting. It can tell you a lot of things about your health. It can tell you a lot of things about predispositions for things, but it cannot tell you who's going to be there when shit gets hard. And as you found out, your family wasn't. So your family might be your blood family, but they're not your life family and they're not your chosen family. Build those friendships. Build family with your husband's family. If you want kids, that'll be your, your new start to your own family. Hang in there. I know it's tough. I lost half a family through divorce, and that was really, really hard. But it does get better, and you will, we will rebuild. Okay, Stan Smixay says, In the past three years, I've had so many changes in my life, it gets overwhelming, even when it's good change. How do you establish priorities and mostly not panic in the face of everything that needs to be done? Papers, admins, statuses, etc. So this is a really good one when it comes to life changes that involve work. So a bankruptcy, a divorce, stuff that involves paperwork, stuff that involves, you know, having to like be on top of stuff versus just, oh, I'm going through this thing. I'm really sad right now. I'm going to sit at home. That comes with its own problems. But then when you add on top of that, having a lot of things to do, it can be really overwhelming. And especially if you're somebody that is prone to anxiety, it can be crippling. 
I luckily, <laughs> luckily only suffer from depression. Sometimes depression and anxiety go hand in hand. I am luckily not one of those people. I get anxious about stuff, but I don't have generalized anxiety. I do get overwhelmed just like everybody else does. Just like, you know, you obviously might be right now. So my major thing is staying organized. For me, staying organized keeps, staying organized externally keeps my brain organized and keeps me from panicking and freaking out. So I write everything down. I'm a note taker. I am a list maker. I'm an Excel spreadsheet doer. Write everything you need to do down and then start chipping away at what you need to do and write it down in priority. So the most important stuff at the top, the least important stuff at the bottom. And that way, you know, okay, well, I only have five minutes right now. Let me chip away at one of these little not important things. Or I only have five minutes right now. And let me chip away at a little bit of this really important thing. Prioritizing is really important. Also, I group things together in a way that makes sense. So let's say I have a lot of errands to run. I prioritize them all together. And then I just spend one day and I make a little map of like, okay, this comes first and then that and then that and that. And I drive myself in a loop. So it makes sense of where I'm going instead of zigzagging all over town. And then maybe, you know, I need to make a TikTok and I need to make a YouTube video, but I need to post this on Instagram. And then I need to make this sponsored video for this company. So all of those things include wearing makeup. So I will put my makeup on in whatever order makes sense and then I'll film each video in order. So in that list, make sure that you're grouping things together to get done in a way that makes sense so that you're not like working a little on the computer and then going to run an errand and then filming a video and then coming back and then having lunch and then going to run another errand because that's not a good way to maximize your time. I'm going to probably do a podcast about staying organized and I will go more in depth on this. Also, I think one important thing, and I said it before about taking mental health days or times, is just taking a minute every day to sit down and breathe. Breathing is so important. Breath oxygenates your blood. And when your blood is oxygenated, your brain is oxygenated. It makes you less confused. It makes you more focused. It helps with anxiety. It helps with so many things, just having a little bit of oxygen in your blood. Literally take, even if it's one minute, sit on the edge of your bed, close your eyes, breathe in, breathe out slowly. That's it. Do it while you're driving, maybe without closing your eyes or park first before you do it. But any second you have, when you're on the toilet, it'll also probably make things flow a little bit easier if you're breathing because you're a little bit more relaxed. Funny side note, I have a problem with urinary tract infections. So I went to see a urologist and she told me that I need to relax when I pee because I'm a quick peer because I'm always afraid that people are going to think I'm pooping. This is childhood trauma from my mom not being into talking about bathroom stuff. So I'm always like, oh, if I'm in the bathroom too long, they're going to think I'm doing something mischievous. I get in and get out really fast, but it doesn't allow my body to relax. So she told me to relax. So now James and I call it pelaxing. So <laughs> when I go to the bathroom, he's always like, don't forget to pelax. But even just that, taking a few deep breaths is very helpful in just calming down in general in life. Also, don't beat yourself up when you don't get everything done. I can't believe I just told you guys about my bladder and my urethra. What a weird thing to talk about in a podcast. You know what? You get a little bit of everything here behind the scenes. This is the real cherry doll face here, guys. Anyways, don't beat yourself up when you don't get everything done. It's okay. There's always tomorrow. That's why I try not to make lists for each day specifically. And if I don't get something done in a day, I just carry it on to the next day and I don't stress. That's also why I prioritize. So if there's something that has to get done that day, like it's Friday and I have to go to the DMV, obviously I can't push that to Saturday. So that's why making lists help. But don't beat yourself up. You're only human and sometimes stuff just gets in the way. 
And also, I think a major thing in helping to not get overwhelmed is not comparing yourself to others as far as progress. I think it's really easy to look at social media and compare your progress in life and in whatever it is, in your career, whatever, to other people. One, remember that social media lies. Don't believe anything you see on social media. And two, just remember that everybody's life goes at a different pace. And your life might just be, you know, at a 30 mile per hour speed right now, where in a year it's going to be at a 60 mile per hour speed or a 110 kilometer an hour speed if you're in Australia. I don't think I got that conversion right, but I think I might be close. Ginevra Thurman Kuntz says, I guess I'm wondering how to settle back in. It seems life has thrown so many curves and I keep landing mostly on my feet by some kind of luck, but it's definitely left me feeling unable to settle and rebuild. Nowadays, I feel like I live on edge for the next big thing to happen and I can't seem to let go of that need to always feel braced for impact. And I'd love any advice on how to actually start rebuilding instead of metaphorically continuing to live out of boxes. How do you start unpacking? So this is actually a funny question for me because I have moved, I don't even know what the count is now. It's probably close to 33 times. And this house that I'm living in now is the longest I've ever been in one place in my life. I've been here, like I said, for almost eight years. I physically, not metaphorically, had boxes packed my entire life. My entire life. And that is not healthy. It's not healthy for many reasons. But when we're talking about the metaphorical brain boxes that you're not unpacking or things that you've hidden deep down inside, one, therapy, highly recommend for that. Just figuring out how to open those boxes and unpack and relax a little bit and learn how to settle into your life when things are good. I am the queen of kicking up dust when life feels like it's too easy. Therapy definitely helps with that. But making routines and traditions in your life is also a good way to help feel settled. And that can even be small. So obviously traditions can be holiday traditions or new family traditions or, you know, the way you eat dinner, whatever. Traditions can be many things. It can be cultural. It can be just life stuff. Routines can be also very different, but they can also be very small. It can be as small as lighting candles every night to feel comfortable or eating a specific thing on Friday. So Friday is pizza night and that's your, you know, your new routine. Those little things create comfort they create the feeling of being safe and they create the feeling of belonging in your life. So I think that routines and traditions are very important in feeling settled and unpacking those boxes. Also too, just focus on one thing at a time in your life. You don't have to feel like, okay, life is settled now. Now I have to rebuild everything. I have to deal with my childhood trauma and I have to find a new house to live or I have to put pictures on the walls or whatever it is. If you feel are feeling overwhelmed with some new transition in your life, just do one thing at a time. Going back to making lists, just make your list, prioritize, do one thing at a time. Don't beat yourself up. I think journaling is also really helpful when you're trying to rebuild and sort of settle into your life. Journaling is a really good way to be able to look back and see how much your life has progressed and how much you have settled, even if you feel unsettled. Because when you start journaling, you might be at a really tumultuous part in your life. And then you'll notice the entries get fewer and further between and they get shorter or they get happier. And you can really see like, wow, my instinct is to still feel really tense and really, you know, strange and really on edge. But when I look at what's actually happening, when you actually read your own words, you can see that you actually are physically settled. Now you have to get emotionally settled. 
detox yourself from social media. Podcasts do not count. Please keep listening to me. I am very important in your life in case you didn't know. But anyway, social media detox is so important, especially when it comes to big, overwhelming life changes because it just adds more fuel to the fire because the world is fucking heavy and social media just adds to that. It's going to make you feel inferior of how you look. It's going to make you feel anxious about politics. It's going to make you feel anxious about COVID. It's going to tell you the war that's happening in Armenia. I mean, there's so many things that social media are good for, but also are bad for when you are already on the edge of your mental health. Okay, so last one. This is a very short answer, and this is by at Sandy Sandy. Were there things you were worried about with making a change that ended up not being a big deal? My one answer to this is absolutely yes. And the thing I was worried about was what people were going to think. And you know how much it mattered in my life? Zero. If people think that you're making a mistake or if people think that you're crazy for this decision or if people think that you should try to work on your marriage or that you should not move to a new city, I give them a big middle finger and I tell them to go fuck themselves because the only life that you are living is your own and people's judgments matter zero. So there you go. Thank you guys for listening. If you were a contributor to the podcast this week, your name will be spelled correctly in my show contributors in my notes. Links to everything I've talked about will be in my notes. Please submit your deep, dark secrets. I would love to share them in my monthly segment. But don't be an asshole. And until next time, here's me waving like a maniac. Bye, guys. <laughs>